Hey guys, this is Don Airy from Deep Purple and you are listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. It's been a pleasure. You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 249, The Bodast Tapes. And coming to you from the suburbs of Chicago, where the most popular band is a band of coyotes, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from the suburbs of Providence, I'm your co-host, John, three-day cleanse, Matola. Oh no, are you doing a three-day cleanse? Oh yeah, it's time, baby. The holidays are long over, and all that all that bloat's got to go with it. So, what does what, what does it entail? <laughs> so it's these. Um, I don't know if you've ever um, heard of them before. It's um, this um, these um, uh, what is it like? Six? No, two four capsules a day, uh, like a a natural formula. Okay. So you take two in the morning and two at night, and it's supposed to help promote waste and toxin elimination. Oh, hello. Are you going to need some bathroom breaks during the show? <laughs> <laughs> no, I should be fair. It's not like I keep telling it to people like, yeah. oh, so you like, do you like walk around and like, you know, crap your pants uncontrollably? <laughs> and it's like, no, I'm an adult. I know how to hold it. Um, <laughs> no, it's just it helps. Uh, you know, it's like a, a little little thing I usually do, like um, these like natural capsules from uh, which I, I promote them by Renew Life. So you can now. Uh, <laughs> oh, we have a sponsorship this week. Yes, Re- renew life. Did JLT do a uh, jingle for them? <laughs> yeah, but every like three to six months, you know, I I take them. You know, I feel like it's you know they have like pills for like liver detox and total body detox and stuff. And it's I don't know if they work, but you know they make me feel better. So. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. That's, I, that's I give fair. him the personal Matola thumbs up. I like the idea that it, yeah, it just make you crap your pants. Like, ah, oh, I feel so much better now that I've been crapping my pants for three days. <laughs> Boy, I'm not bloated, but I need I need new I need to go <laughs> shopping for new clothes. <laughs> oh my goodness! So <sighs> the other night I was walking my dog, and there's been some there's been some coyote activity, and I was walking my dog through the park, and I I wear this you know my uh, my um. Brother-in-law and father-in-law give me a hard time because I wear this hat with like a little spotlight on it. Because in they the park, give you a hard time. <laughs> they they're like, oh, no, actually, yeah. that's smart. I was like, oh, my sissy, because I have a light on my hat so that I don't trip or and I can see my dog and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, and I was like, I don't like, give yes. a shit. So I, <laughs> I I'm wearing this light, and all of a sudden I see these two little lights shining back at me over here, and then I see two little lights over here shining back at me, and I'm like, oh, that's two coyotes, like hunting us <laughs> so i was like oh shit so oh. so i immediately kind of veered off and then I, but i'm like i'm like kind of walking backwards with the dog who's completely oblivious to any of this even happening and um they're following us and then they start to kind of split up like they're going on either side of us so my wife mm. for christmas had gotten me um a little coyote whistle it's like oh they hate <laughs> the noise i'm like oh great so i'm like i'm like toot 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 on my on my little whistle nothing they're like whatever we don't care we're still gonna just follow you so they followed me for a while until i got to the street and then i like basically walked in the middle of the street where it's really lit 
Uh, because by that part of the park, it's pitch black. If I didn't have the hat, I would never have seen them. And I don't know what would have happened. Yeah. Like, I don't know if they would have attacked, but I don't know if they were sizing us up. But eventually, I kind of, they followed us for a while, and then they just kind of broke off and, and went somewhere else. So, um, And then immediately before I was uh, getting on to record, I was walking the dog. Broad daylight, because we're doing an early morning, uh, well, a morning recording. And uh, we, we turned to go to the park, and there's a coyote just chilling right there, just and and the dog was like, she was like, oh, another dog. I want to go play. So she's like pulling and I'm like, no, no, no. And I'm so I pull her away. And then, um, yeah, I kind of I was with my son and we just kind of made a dash back home. And then uh, so I text my yeah, I always text the whole neighborhood and my and everything to just let them know, hey, there's coyotes out because some of them have these tiny little dogs that the coyote would just like probably eat in one yeah. bite. Um, so I text mm-hmm. my um, my mother-in-law because uh, she has a, a littler dog, too. And, um, she says, um, stay away. (laughs) They, they always hunt in packs. Um, coyotes usually hunt at night. They must be very, very, uh, in daylight. So I said, Oh really? I was going to, I was letting the dog play with the, the coyotes. So thank you for the tip. <laughs> and she says, coyotes can run faster than you. I said, another hot tip from you about coyotes. Like I'm just learning so much here. And I'm like, I like stay away. That was uh, my favorite. Stay tip. away. I was like, Oh, that is, that is, let me write this down. I hope I can remember this in the future. When I encounter a coyote, I was going to just go charge at them. Um, but she, she, as soon as I told her the other night about the coyote, um, <laughs> She went and uh, she got, uh, and I'll have I'll have to put this in the show notes. She went and she's she's a bit of a, a warrior, so she went and got this suit for her dog. <laughs> Can you see it? Yeah, it looks like friggin' it looks like uh, Gene Simmons codpiece from the late seventies <laughs> or something. All it's spikes it, come out. It's like Mad Max. Oh, like it's just, it's bright orange suit just completely covered in like Billy Idol bracelets. <laughs> uh, so, so I mean, taking well, no chances. First of all, I mean, was the uh, you already had a coyote whistle? So I mean, is this is this something that's uh, been an anticipated issue over there? Like, well, I think when I when I spotted them when they when they hunted me through the park, that was when they're like, okay, we got to take some precautions, and that's when I got the whistle. Um, but since the whistle doesn't do dick, I am going mm. to, <laughs> I think, invest in um, some coyote mace or something in, in case it comes yeah, to that. Yeah, that would be good. So now this is like on the, this is, you're not like walking through the woods or anything. You're walking through your neighborhood. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I Populated mean, it's, it's, area. It, there's like, like a creek that runs through there and it's kind of wooded, but then there's a park, but it's surrounded on all sides by houses. So yeah, um, all right. So. A, another neighbor got a, is walking their dog with a bat. Um, yeah, and my mother-in-law's like, "Oh, if it, if it, if a coyote gets that close to you, you shouldn't be letting it get that close to you." I was like, "Yeah, but if it does, I'd rather have a bat than not have a bat." <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I mean, don't, yeah, I don't get that either. It's like you shouldn't letting it because you know, like, "Hey, come on over here. Let's have a let's yeah, have like, a conversation." It's a like, conversation. I'm not in. T- yeah. Hey, let's just talk this out, man to man. <laughs> man to man to coyote. Man to coyote. Oh, that just that reminds me of like when when me pops and Mike went on. Um, um, when uh, we were doing uh, our hiking trip in uh, the White Mountains a couple of years ago, and there was like for some reason it was before we started going up with the whole family, and there was one year where they were particularly curious or like paranoid about bears, and they were just mm-hmm. like, "John, like Google what to do in case a bear comes," and I'm like, "Fucking like stay away from it." Like <laughs> I don't think there are too many tips that I wouldn't know. I mean, obviously you try and 
like back away from it or like uh, well, I know, you know there's not, some there's some bears that you're supposed to make yourself look really big and then some yeah. that you're supposed to play dead I can't remember it's like brown but the difference between a brown bear and a black bear but I, I don't encounter bears enough to really commit that to yeah, memory so I mean I mean uh, all kidding aside I guess there are like like you said there are different different tips and stuff like that but I mean just like with any wild animal you never want to make any sudden moves or act, <laughs> or like act like you're afraid yeah exactly um, because they sense that obviously and i can't imagine how difficult that would be if you just like <laughs> you're just like standing there next to a bear and you're like oh fuck yeah yeah you're just like <laughs> yeah you're just like yeah no big deal i'm not scared you're like, it's a bear hey you want to go look at, do you want to go look at the views can they, can they sense that you're bullshitting though like because if you're like hey no big deal can, can't they sense that like no this this guy's still scared <laughs> like, be rest assured that almost any human that is sane is going to be scared in your presence anyone that's not is is yeah you know one of those like guys that gets eaten by a bear um, I think they figured that out yeah all right, so folks, hey, we are thrilled to be uh, with you here today this week. Um, if you want to support our show, our show is 100% listener-supported and ad-free. So if you want to support us, um, help keep us in good things and help keep the show running, you can do so a number of ways. One is by leaving us a, um, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, gets read on the show and helps new f- people discover the show. You can buy some merch at our Etsy store. You can become a patron on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. You can also donate on PayPal for the same. Um, you can donate on Cash App at dollar sign DPPOD or support us on Ko-fi. Um, and uh, speaking of people um, that support us... New patron. We have a new patron with us this week. Um, this patron is named Derple Purple. Coming in at the $1 <laughs> silly made-up name tier. I like um, that. And Derple, I don't know if Derple wants us to use uh, his real name, but he's been following us for a long time, and he's very, very young. And I remember a couple years ago, he's like, as soon as I'm old enough to get a credit card or whatever, I'm going to support the show. I've been a loyal, faithful uh, listener, and sure enough, lived up to his... uh, his uh, promise right after the first of the year. Um, uh, Durple writes in and says, Hey guys, honestly, it's been such a fun ride following the show for the last few years that I couldn't help but want to support it. Proud to be one of the younger listeners of the show, and I hope that it gets more and more recognition from here on out. Best regards. So thank you, uh, Durple. Uh, Really appreciate that, and I know just from Durple's real name that uh, they have uh, said that they were going to uh, donate for a while, and they've le- left us a Amazon. Uh, I'm sorry, an Apple review. So really appreciate the, their support. And uh, speaking of people that support the show, thanks to our executive level patrons at the In Memoriam tier, the wonderful late Gerald, Jerry, Kelly, and family. At the $25 Uncommon Man tier, we have Ovis Nakfi and Purple Maniac. At the 15 Squid tier, we have Alan. At the $10 Good Doctor tier, we have none other than Dr. Mike Catan. A little late to the punch on that one. At the Turn It Up to $11 tier, Clay Wambacher, Frank Tealgarn Mortensen, Mickelstein, and Will Porter, PhDPP. At the $10 Someone Came tier, Ryan M., Jeff Bryce, Victor Campos, Better Call Saul Evans, and Peter from Illinois. And at the Hughes Oween by. Uh, 2033 tier, we have Fielding Fowler. (laughs) 
the ever evolving tier. I haven't heard that in a while. <laughs> yeah, we've we've taken quite a break. Um, although there will be no break for our listeners, uh, we're back after the uh, after our holiday break. Uh, and coming up soon, as of the recording of this, um, we have uh, Glenn Hughes live at the Acarta in St. Charles, Illinois, the pickle capital of the world, playing with Enough's Enough and Bad Marriage. Um, on February 10th, John's birthday. John will not be in attendance, but I will. And uh, two of the three available tickets have been snatched up. One by none other than Dr. Mike Catan. Oh, great. Yeah. And the awesome. uh, and the other by uh, uh, maybe obvious from his name, Peter from Illinois. Although I don't think Peter lives super close. <laughs> He's in Illinois, but Illinois is big. So, so they're so they're both going with you. They're both going to be going with me. And um, I don't That's know awesome. as of listening to this if there'll be any more tickets available. But as of now, there's one more ticket available. So um, I should probably just reach out to Ryan M in advance and give him the heads up because I know he's local. Um, True. And um, yeah, and if not, uh, then there might still be one available. So contact me. And you know what? If it's not, I'm sure there's other tickets available. So get some tickets. But in our little cluster of four seats, that's uh, uh, if you want to purchase one of the tickets, just get in touch with me. Then we also have the Vice Satriani tour, which I haven't reached out to anybody about yet, but I have four tickets for that um, in Chicago. That's going to be in Chicago proper at uh, the Chicago Theater. Um, so as I'm thinking, it's an older theater because. It's called the Chicago Theater. Um, if that that name wasn't taken yet, it, it's perfect place for the Deep Purple podcast to hang out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will I will say that um, to uh, uh, just as uh, as as Coverdale would say to slide it in. Um, That's right. That the um, I will be will be going to see Glenn Hughes in Derry, New Hampshire, February sixteenth, six days after my birthday and after Nate sees him. There we go at the Tupelo Music Hall with. Yang Wee, Shaylor, and <laughs> oh, I thought, wait, wait, yeah, I was like, Yang Wee's playing with him? <laughs> <laughs> no, with all the same people. No, uh, uh, Rich and I are going. I believe uh, the Gardo and the Roback are also going. Nice. And uh, some other friends of um, of our Riches, I believe, that um, are not uh, friends or patrons of the podcast, but I believe I met them before. Yet. So that's, that's all I know. Yes, yet. Um, yeah, so I think that there's going to be uh, yeah some people up there. So if anybody's in that area, I will be going to that show. And then the Visatriani, I would love to. When was that? Did you say April? Uh, April. I just said it. Um, April eighteenth. <laughs> yes. I now I don't I don't know or I don't think that they're at least they didn't announce any dates around here yet. So I might actually want to go out for that one. Yeah. It's right next to my daughter's birthday, so I'm going to figure out logistically what, um, I mean, obviously I can go out for that show, but that weekend will probably be, um, so yeah, maybe I'll just take a few days, a few extra days off, like maybe I'll take Wednesday through Sunday off, because her birthday's on the Sunday, um, so yeah. It See, be. like me, just like uh, staying at your house, like awkwardly, like crashing a children's party. <laughs> just come on my come on my pajamas, bottle bottle of wine. Sub. <laughs> Sub <Some> kids. <laughs> Pin the tail on Matola. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm Drunko the clown. How you doing? Yeah. <laughs> like who's that? Oh, it's a house guest childhood friend of Nate's. He's falling in hard times. Just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sweep him sweep him into the guest room there. <laughs> he's he's been going through some tough stuff. Um so um, before we move on, there's uh, one little segment that we uh, we need to do, and that is, of course, our recurring segment, Postcards from the Edge. 
of Connecticut, and I got a few that have collected over the last few weeks. Um, this one right here is um, a postcard of a, of a Christmas time Ethel Merman. Oh well, what do you know? I look. I look. got. <laughs> I got the same one. <laughs> There you go. Look at look at Ethel, young Ethel. Look at those gams. <laughs> and it says, um, "Christmas carols always brought tears to my eyes. I also cry at weddings. I should have cried at a couple of my own." Ethel Merman. Merry Christmas from the Merms and the Roback. Yep, I got the same. I got the same inscription. So that is great. Very nice. Um, then we've got. <laughs> what is you might have gotten this one too it says um is that the butt off williams house uh, no it says um hey nate no, now it's got he- too many trees yeah exactly now hey hey nate now here's a historic home for you had a great time visiting the gardeau home and museum what a gift shop the roback and it's <laughs> it says the peter gardeau house <laughs> And um, it says this 1910 colonial wood frame includes extensive collections of postcards, label makers, and Frank Zappa albums. <laughs> Can't really. Yeah, it's got a few more trees than the Butt Off Williams house. That's great. Yeah, I was going to say, is that like maybe Butt Off Williams before they cut the trees down? Or I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Butt Off Williams needs some shrubbery or something. Then I got um, this one, which I don't know if it's supposed to be. Oh, here we go. So this one right here, a little map of Germany, and it's hard to see, but he circled here. <laughs> he mm-hmm. wrote here. And this one, um, it says reproduction der Wunderkart im Grope format. I'm sure my I'm sure that was spot on. Ralph Kaf can email me to congratulate me on that perfect uh, <laughs> pronunciation. It says Nate and John. Now here's a Ludwig Schaven on the map for you, <laughs> Peter. <laughs> so that's Ludwig Schaven where uh, oh. White Snake played. Um, yep, so it's got the whole... I, I don't can't tell if this is... Yeah, this looks like it's probably just, um... Like, West Germany. P- probably an older postcard. But yeah, nice uh, happy holidays. <laughs> Some strange happy holidays cards from our listeners. And then, mm-hmm. that's not all. Um, also got this care package in. Speaking of Ethel Merman. Which is... <laughs> uh, um, four... Yes, I- Packages of Vell. I also got four four bottles of Vell through the mail <laughs> from Montreal. It came from Montreal, so I must like, not make it here anymore. But it's like it's got the uh, French mm-hmm. language on it. Oh no! Wait, yeah, I the, don't. Uh, I don't really care for the scent. So uh, no, you don't like the rose scent. Yeah, uh, a little little too perfumed for me, but. Yeah, it's a little still, rosy. Uh, it's a little rosy, but I'll tell you, it cuts through that grease like gangbusters. I've been using it. <laughs> and uh, don't also, I know it's not a postcard, but let's not uh, not forget our Ethel Merman mugs. Yes, yes, I, I don't have mine with me. It's upstairs. My collection but I did is drink my tea out of it this morning. Here. So yeah, so anybody that uh, anybody that doesn't know, then um, Nate put in the put in the show notes what episode we are on of the seventies uh, weekly podcast where Ethel Merman was the main topic of discussion. Yes, and uh, that, that will make the Vell. I didn't get a gift card to Texaco, though. <laughs> do they even have Texacos anymore? I was going to say, do they even, because I just said uh, there's like Shell, Mobile. Uh, Texaco! 
I don't even know if that's a. That's got to be. You would think maybe, it might be like regional. It might still be like in the West Coast or something, but I can't remember ever seeing a Texaco. And then in I can't remember the last time I saw one. Now, so. Let me see. Texaco. See locations. Um. Oh. <laughs> you like this one right down the street? <laughs> oh. Uh, okay. Well, there were there were two. There was one in Pawtucket, which is said, which is marked as temporarily closed, and there was one right here in. The suburbs of Providence, Lincoln, permanently closed. Hmm. I'm showing one in Calumet in in, in um, Indiana. It's open. Road trip. All right. When you if you come up for Vi, we'll go. <laughs> we'll drive an hour to Calumet to go get some gas. Well, the the funny thing is, is that I um I mapped this, and it's 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 funny because the the one. I wonder where this is. Wow. Okay, so in in relation to where I am, it's actually not too far away, but it's just like if you if you map it and it shows the location, it basically shows like where it used to be, and it's like a friggin' whole ass house and driveway, and it's yeah. not like an abandoned <laughs> lot. It's like actually looks like a house that's been there for like you know fifteen years. Yeah, the, if if I there's one like way up in Wisconsin, way up in Michigan, and then there's one in Kentucky. Uh, so they're pretty, and a couple in Iowa. But yeah, it looks like they're they're definitely a dying breed. Quite a few in Tennessee, and Georgia. But all yeah, right, no, there's um, yeah, yeah. So um, anybody in the anybody in the uh, the northeast north uh, New England area, you're probably going to be shit out of luck if you're in the uh, <laughs> Providence area. No, no Texaco's here. Shit, shit out of luck. Yeah, like like the other gas stations, gas isn't <laughs> doesn't work just the same. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess if you're if you're looking for a Texaco, it'd be I great just, if they I came out in those suits from like the fifties and they clean your windshield and stuff. It was like the old school. Mm, all dressed up in like white white suits and everything. Yeah. You know? The best, like the best thing to be working with gasoline like a, and oil. Moonlighting is a, like a roller skating waiter down the street or whatever they. <laughs> They just dress up in like those white uniforms and they come out and give you car service. Oh, it looks like um, they were acquired by Chevron. So that's probably why. Oh, Oh, headquarters in White Plains, New York. That was uh, right, like right near where I used to live. Hmm, Interesting. Either way. I mean, you know, uh, where where I get my gas is the the lowest price. (laughs) Where I get my gas is just on the way to work. (laughs) Like I don't give a give a shit. No, I do. I know. I know where the lowest price is, and I go to it. Oh, you're like my dad. You'll drive <laughs> three miles out of your way to get to save a nickel a gallon. <laughs> yes, I will. <laughs> Freaking gas station, like right, like right down the street from me. It's like the most expensive gas like ever, and I'm like, I refuse to go to it. Yeah, it's pretty cheap around here lately. It's de- most almost every place is under three dollars, so I'll take it. Oh um, yeah, but hey, yeah. we're not here to talk about gas. <laughs> No, no. Although, if this is your first time listening, it might surprise you. Um, We're here to talk about Bodast, but before we do that, uh, check out Deep Dive Podcast Network for like-minded shows on single band, mostly on single bands, um, and other things. We're kind of expanding, so a lot of great shows out there. Check it out, deepdivepodcastnetwork.com, for a feed of all of our network shows. All right, Bodast, John. Bodast. What What do you know or remember about Bodast? I don't know. Is that one of the names that Pops called you when he forgot? He's like, hey, it's Nate Bodast. <laughs> it's possible. He, he, he could very well have called me Bodast. Um, um, I, 
I know only what you told me the other day when you said we're doing Podest for the next episode. So well, I, I remember Bodas coming up when, in those early days of searching the internet, probably Highway Star, and yeah. looking at the family tree. And there was always this thing early on, this little shoot that said Bodas. And I'm like, what the hell is that? And it was one of those things that we kind of joke about, like, ah, Quatermass, Bodas, Captain Beyond, all these things we had no exposure to yeah. and only just heard the name. Um, so it's very intertwined with uh, Deep Purple. So. In the early days of Roundabout, Chris Curtis from The Searchers teamed up with Tony Edwards and John Coletta and Ron Heyer uh, to start the group Roundabout. The idea was that Chris Curtis would be like the singer and all the stuff would kind of like revolve around him. Musicians would jump on and off whenever they wanted. Um, that was kind of the early formation. So uh, there's a great interview with Simon, uh, a great interview with Nick Simper by Simon Robinson, and he has some kind of few little quotes about these early days. He says, uh, back with the flower pot men, me and Carlo, uh, Carlo Little uh, were saying to Lord that we should do something. Let's get Richie over to join us. I think that's how John Lord found out about Richie because he didn't know he, who he was. He told him, he was, uh, we told him he's the greatest guitarist. And I think that's when he was asked by Chris Curtis about a guitarist. He said, well, I've heard about this Richie Blackmore. Curtis obviously knew him. Um, John had come from Leicester, but all the, uh, Londoners knew Richie he, as he'd lived in South Hall, uh, but a mile from Simper's house. He played with Carlo and Lord Such and were urging John. So we were urging John all the time. Somehow Bobby Woodman got involved and Bobby Woodman's the drummer. I can't recall how. And then said, John said, well, would you give up all the money we're getting in the flower pot, man? A regular 150 pounds or so for a small wage to do what we want to do. And I said, give me the chance. He said, um, well, I know a couple of businessmen that are willing to give put some money up, so would you give it a go? And I said, yeah. I said, who are you going to get on drugs? I told Carlo I was going to split from the group with John, and Carlo was <clears throat> a bit upset because he was a drummer. Um, and he hadn't been asked to join. So basically, he, he said, who you got? And he said, Bobby Woodman. And that was Carlo Little's idol, apparently. And he was like a legend. He played with all these British groups and stuff. So he said, as soon as he found out that that's who the drummer was, his feelings weren't hurt anymore because he was he considered Bobby Woodman to be the guy. Um, Bobby Woodman had gotten his start learning jazz from Eric uh, Delaney, another jazz drummer. And Delaney had his own band and released singles in the 1950s, including the hits Cockles and Muscles and Oranges and Lemons. <laughs> Food-based hits. Okay. <laughs> Cockles perfect and Muscles. Perfect for the food podcast. That would be perfect. <laughs> perfect crossover episode. Cockles and Muscles and Oranges and Lemons. Unbelievable. And he also had a song called Delaney's Delight. <laughs> that's great. All right. That's, they had some weird song titles back then. It was the 50s. I would like to, we are going to have to put a, uh, maybe I'll have to put in the, uh, at the end of the show, I'll have to put a little snippet from Cockles and Muscles. Um, so that is um, kind of how uh, Bobby Woodman, who we'll talk about in a bit, got involved. Um, that was kind of the start of, of Roundabout. Um, so where do I go here? Woodman had also played with Big Jim Sullivan, who was uh, Richie's guitar uh, teacher um, in a band called the Beat Boys. And they changed their name to Marty Wilde's Beat Boys and then back to the Beat Boys and became a ba uh, backing band for Bill Fury. After this, Woodman joined Vince and the Playboys backing band uh, to tour America. Um, they were invited there by Vince's brother-in-law, who was Joseph Barbera. 
none other than Joseph Barbera of the legendary Hannah Barbera um, mm. brought them in. So you've got Bill Cosby bankrolling uh, Deep Purple. You got Hannah Barbera <laughs> bankrolling these guys. Interesting wow. times. Well, it's very. Um yeah, a lot of um, more more connectivity to the Deep Purple family tree than we thought. Yeah, exa- exactly, and it gets even it gets even more so. Um, in 1960, the Kenny uh, Kenny Bav- Pavel left the band as a guitarist, and he was briefly replaced by Jimmy Page, who was in the band with Woodman, who was 16 mm. years old at the time. Um, he then had a group called the Bobby Woodman Noise before turning with Vince Taylor and leaving and taking the name Bobby Clark. So he kind of changed his name to Bobby Clark at this point. Um, but a lot of people still knew him as Bobby Woodman. And then they changed the name of the band to the Barbie, the Bobby Clark Noise. In 1965, uh, Bobby decided to go to America, start a career there. He filled in a number of recordings for the band Love with Arthur Lee. And he played and recorded with Vince Flaherty. He then also went on to play with the band leader Arthur Lee at this club called Beto Lido's. And there he played with Daryl Dragon, who's better known as Captain from Captain and Tennille. Um, so he's 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 rubbing he's rubbing noses with Hanna Barbera, Jimmy Page, Captain Darryl, from Captain and Tennille. Daryl Dragon. Daryl Dragon. How do you change your name to Captain when your name's Daryl Dragon? That's his legitimate name. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if Daryl Dragon and Tennille would have sold this many <laughs> I mean, I would have checked it out. I'd be like, ooh, Daryl Dragon sounds heavy. Yeah, it sounds like yeah, some heavy metal. Daryl Dragon and Tennille. They just leave Tennille the same. Because Tennille wasn't even her, her name. Like, weren't there two Tennilles? I think there were different. No, was, no I think her name was Tony Tennille. So I think that might have been her last name. But didn't they get another Tennille, like, to replace her, and they just called her Tennille? <laughs> I mean, they probably could have. Captain Jer- mean, if, you, Cap- if they were out touring, Captain Daryl Dragon, if they were out touring today, I wouldn't have known. What? I'm trying to past memory. They, well, no, they, no, maybe not. Maybe I'm just. I thought it was like a scenario where, like, she was like the the Tommy Thayer of <laughs> somebody dressed dressed up like Tennille and played it. But maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I mean, like I was saying, if they went, if they went on tour like today or something like that, I wouldn't know the difference. You just like have the name recognition. They're just like, well, well, keep us together. Yeah, the cap- like, captain right. and Tennille, they could put any two, <laughs> any guy and lady up there that are kind of old, and I'd, I'd buy it. Yeah, and they're just like, hey, I know that song. Love will keep us together. Um, okay, so he played with Captain Tennille. Then he became the first. UK rock star to be deported from America for cannabis possession. So started a trend there. Um, In 1966, Clark played with the Frank Zappa band. Um, So he's, he's he's just racking up some amazing names. Then he played in a band called the elves themselves, which is a great name, Um, which featured on guitar, Jimi Hendrix. So, (laughs) so this guy, and we're only in 1966 here. This guy is playing with Jimmy Page, Jimi Hendrix, Frank Zappa, Daryl Dragon, you name it. He's playing with everybody. (laughs) Um, So he goes to France after this and he has a third run with Vince Taylor. um, And then he went to a band with uh, America with a band he just called The Noise, worked with a number of artists, including Dave Curtis who was formerly of the Tremors, and his brother Chris Curtis, who we just talked about, was the kind of 
original, original starter of the roundabout band. So Nick Simper has this to say. Dave Curtis and I met at John's flat when John moved out there uh, to my parents because we were introduced. I remember him from Dave Curtis and the Tremors. He was quite a nice singer, but not for us. We wanted a guy called Terry Reed, but he wasn't interested. He was an amazing singer. We were sitting in Dave's hall, the four of us, starting writing, and, and Bobby clearly wasn't interested in our sort of music. He was still living in the Johnny Kidd era. Great days, but we'd seen Vanilla Fudge, which turned us on, and we wanted to create something new. But he wasn't interested, so it just used to be the three of us trying to write things. The three of us meaning him, I guess it would have been him, Blackmore, Lord. And then Dave, mm-hmm. Dave Curtis was there, too, so I'm not sure what he means by the three of us. Um, one night, we had, we had a party and invited a few friends there, and Tony Tacone came along. I don't know who that is. I said we needed a singer, and he said, what about Gillen? And I said, yeah, what's he doing? He was with episode six, so although I didn't know him personally, I... Oh, I'd met him personally just to say how to do. He'd always seemed a bit distant when I met him at gigs because he was usually the supporting group supporting the Bergeracs, which was uh, Nick Simper's older band, once I remember. And I said to Tony, would you ask him, tell him we've got, uh, got, tell him what we've got because you've seen it all. He was obviously impressed um, uh, because we had banks of marshals and a nice big house. Tell Gillen what's it about and ask him if he's interested. Sorry, I got to make this font bigger. I can't read at this distance. I'm getting old. Here we go. The next night, Tony rang me up and said, I can remember almost the exact words. He said, I've spoken to Gillen and he's not interested. He said, you'll never go anywhere and episode six are going to make it big. I said, oh, well, tell him where to stick it. Because he came across as flash. (laughs) Came across like that. The others didn't know who he was and said... Uh, what about your mate? And I said, he's not interested. I asked Roger Truth to come in and audition as a drummer, and he didn't want to know. So he says they auditioned at Dave's Halls for about five weeks looking for a singer. Um, he thinks he really hit it off with Bobby. <clears throat> um, but Tony Edwards uh, said they decided they had to get rid of Bobby. So he went to Pace, and what does uh, Simper say? He says, all I said was you shouldn't mess around with the guy. He's come over from France, uprooted himself over here, lived here for years. He knows you're not happy with him. Why don't you tell him straight? And they didn't have the guts, so they had to get Coletta and Edwards to fire him. Tony says, Bobby, we want to terminate the contract, and we'll give you 20 pounds. And and old Coletta nudges him quietly, saying, 40, 40, 40 pounds expenses. Uh, There was a big silence, and Bobby says... And he's writing in this accent. I don't think that's very nice at all. It's him, isn't it? It's Blackmore. <laughs> he's writing it like that, so I have to say it. <laughs> he don't like me. <laughs> Even in those days, John's going, I'm your friend, Bobby. So anyways, he packs his bags, and Rod and Ian, who are with the maze, packed their bags and moved in with us, and that was the start of it all. Um, so yeah, that was the start of, of, well, that was the beginning and the end of Bobby Woodman's time in roundabout. Um, and then Ian Pace has like something he, he, he did like an interview on one of his things, I think during COVID when he had his YouTube channel where he talks about sneaking in and taking Woodman's spot in the Mm -hmm. band. Um, so, um, so this, so after this Edwards and Coletta tell, um, Dave Curtis, that they'll start their own band and they bring in um, Steve Howe from who just left the band tomorrow, uh, Clive Skinner and Bobby Clark. 
Um, so Steve Howe of the three of these are of the four of these guys is the most well known. He goes on to be in Yes. Um, originally, Howe says he was working on the studio, and that led him to Deep Purple's management, where he was enticed to form the band. They were originally called Canto. They recorded a few demos, and then the band was named. This is the funny part. The band is named after the first three letters of their names: Bobby B O. Dave, D-A, and S-T for Steve. But there's four guys in the band. <laughs> so <laughs> who got screwed? <laughs> Clive Skinner. <laughs> so Steve Skinner? Howe says Steve Howe says, not the best method to settle on a group name, particularly as there was no reference to Clive. <laughs> they should have named them bo- Bodastical. <laughs> C-L, Clive. Bodastical. Or, bo- or Bodast Skinner. <laughs> Bodast Skinner. <laughs> Principal Skinner. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. All right, whatever. I mean, they wound up not being anything anyway, so who cares? <laughs> John's like, I'm not going to further analyze that. Uh, but there's a little bit about it in Steve Howe's book, All My Yesterdays. He talks a little bit about the band Bodast, and um, there's a lot of stuff. Um, I got actually a million links in the show notes this week because there is a lot of actual really interesting history about this band. And then I've got this. 2017 release, the Bodas Towards Utopia, which mm. has a good booklet and it has, uh, but what we're going to focus now is on the Bodas tapes, which is in, so Clive Skinner dies in 1978. How starts thinking about him and decides he's going to resurrect these tapes, remaster them and release them. And they did it in like one day and released them as the Bodas tapes featuring Steve Howe, uh, which is what we're going to listen to. And then, hey, maybe a bonus episode down the line where we could do all these other bonus tracks. But for now, we'll kind of focus on that. Um, it says in the Bodas tapes on the back that Clive Skinner joined at a later date. So that might be why he's not in the band name. Uh, but Steve Howe seems to not know why. So apparently there's some other guy, Bruce Thomas, who allegedly played bass with him at some point, too. He was he worked with Paul Rogers and Mickey Moody in the Roadrunners and then went on to work with Elvis Costello and the attractions. Uh, but. Some people also say that, that he was just around and he didn't play with the band. So uh, so they rent, they set up a house. They were paid a weekly salary. Um, he says this is right around the time the Beatles uh, released the White Album and that this was like, great because he's never he said he's never been supported this way before or since as to, like they were given a house, given all this time, given all this money to just sit there and be creative and, and record music, which is like pretty amazing for any musician. Hmm. Um, so for the band, we've got acoustic guitar and vocals, Clive Skinner, more commonly known as Clive Maldoon. Um, he'll, they'll, him and Dave Curtis would split off and do um, uh, Curtis Maldoon uh, band with Purple Records later. Um, so uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, uh, on acoustic lead guitar and bass on one track, um, we have Steve Howe. And then uh, bass guitar vocals, Dave Curtis, known as, uh, who is also Dave Lawrence Atkins, the brother of Chris Curtis from The Searchers. Sometimes it's spelled with one S, sometimes it's spelled with two S. I don't understand why, but the Curtis name for both of them, I've seen it both ways, so kind of weird. Um, and then on drums, Bobby Clark, who we kind of gave a little background of there. So he finds these tapes, remasters them, engineered by uh, Jeff Emmerich, Keith West, all of these kind of former Beatles engineers and stuff. So uh, pretty um, storied collection here. And then um, he says that in his book, Steve Howe says that the Towards Utopia version, which I have here, is the best version. So I kind of put that together with the Bodas Tapes artwork, and that's what we'll listen to. All right. 
So that's the background of how bodast, how bodastical came to be. Yeah, totally bodastical. Totally bodast. That would have been a great word in the 80s. Totally bodast. I always thought like when I saw bodast, I always thought that that was like a um I thought it was a word when I first saw it like can you believe the bodast on this guy or like you know like <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought it does. It sounds like a word that means like, you know, like, you know, like you got a, you know, big brass balls, you know, that guy's yeah. got some boat ass to come around here after the shenanigans. He was pulling he's been on pulling. us. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not. It's it's just it's it's actually a band name created in the absolute dumbest possible way. Yeah. Oh, um, but speaking of things that aren't dumb, our patrons um, at our core level, before we get into the music here, uh, coming in at the $7.77 Keep It Warm right here, we have Michael Vader. At the $6.99 new nice price tier, we have none other than Spike the Rock Cat and Sugar Tea. At the episode $6.66 tier, we have Steve Coldwell, Arthur Smith. Anton Glaving and Charles Meadows at the $6.65 Almost Evil tier. We have Kenny Wymore, Michael Bagford, and Richie Sucksmith at the $6 What's Going On Here tier. We have Richard Fusey at the $5.99 The Nice Price tier, Robert Smith and Carl Helberg. And at the 60 Kroner Scandinavian Knights tier, we have Newt Morton Johansson. At the $5 Money Lender tier, John Convery, German Heindel, Adrian Hernandez, Jesper Elman, Alexi the Perfect Stranger Slepikov, Kev Roberts, Percival Frequency, Scott Zern, Cynthia Doobie, Raf Kaff, and Coyote Bongwater. The Coyote thing is really uh, hitting close to home now. Little, I'm getting a little, you know, a little nervous walking around. Luckily, my dog is big, too big. Where is she? <laughs> She's over there on the floor. <laughs> you lost track of her already. Lost track of the dog. All right, are we ready to get into some of these tracks? Oh, yeah, let's see if the, how, how bodastical this is. <laughs> and full, totally, so, bo- totally bodastical, totally bodastical dude. dude. Um, this is kind of classified as psychedelic rock. So not I know not your cup of tea. Uh, it's late 60s psychedelic rock. And full disclosure, I have not listened to this at all. So, um, okay. other than the first maybe 10 seconds of the first song to just get levels before we start recording. So, this will be a first listen for both of us, kind of get our reactions. Uh, opens up, the Bodas Tapes opens up with uh, a track called Do You Remember, which was written by Chris Curtis. So, here we go. Do You Remember? Psychedelic. It's almost doing like some like proto metal chugging on the guitar. Yeah, very, very, yeah, 60s rock sounding. Yep. Almost punk. Yeah, I was going to say, like, um, I, I enjoy the dry production as opposed to, uh, you know, the drenched in reverb production of the first uh, couple of Deep Purple albums. Yeah, yeah. 
Like, I much prefer this style of production from the 60s. So it makes it sound a little harder. It's got a good energy to it. The guitar player's going berserk. Yeah, Steve Howe. And I gotta admit, I, I don't know much about Steve Howe. Like, I know a little yes, but definitely not. I had Fragile, basically. I had the LP of Fragile. Probably still got it back mm-hmm. there somewhere. But that's a much different, even though it's not... A huge amount of time after this, it's definitely a different thing. Very, uh, it's very sloppy sort of uh, sloppy in a good way yeah just that kind of loose uh, rock and roll that you like to hear when you don't want anything that's too clean I like the uh, the album cover. It's just like, you know, because they were calling them like the, the lost boat ass tapes, you know, and it's like a guy in the woods just like with a shovel. He just dug a hole and found these <laughs> reels. <laughs> hey, this is where they put them. I got to say, it sounds really good considering they were buried in the dirt for 10 years. <laughs> It's definitely got like a very like It's like Yeah, it's like it's got this very like proto-punk, proto proto-metal. Kind of like a weird, like little George Harrison sort of uh, outro solo there. <laughs> kind of cool, a little different than I was. Uh... Yeah, I didn't know what to expect. So, what, so that was. Do you remember? What do you think about that one? Do you have your rating so spreadsheet we, open? Are we are we rating them? Yeah. I don't know. Should we? It's it's like kind of like a proper release album. So, is it? All right. Um, yeah, hang on. I've <laughs> moved some stuff around All of on my, my phone since the last time we recorded. As we record this, it's um, it's this is the official last day of their the kids' winter break, and I've gotten uh, texts from all the dads and the of yeah. all of the friends saying the kids have got to go back to school. <laughs> They're all tired of them. I'm sure. Okay. Um, Okay, so you did put it in the spreadsheet. Um, you know, I'll, I'll um, I mean, it's. I mean, I think when we, when we, I think a good caveat here is when we rank things, we got to kind of rank them as what they are. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's yeah, hard. I mean, I'll, I, I know what you mean. Um, I'll say it, I'll say 3.5. I wasn't prepared to rank 
I guess. But okay. um, because I didn't know if it was one of these, um, you know, we're going to listen to it and it's a historical curiosity type thing. But oh, yeah, um, I would say for what I was expecting, it was it was better. You know, it was like a, a, a kind of a blues based, um, like you said, almost a punky sounding, yep. uh, really loose sounding, uh, just rock, you know, which I think is was really great for around that time is I feel like you got one or the others, you got these jam bands or uh, like if, if you're uh, uh, very experimental, like these uh, kind of maybe not great, greatly produced, you know, washed away and reverb type of stuff. Like you sound like they're in a huge hall, like the first couple of deep purple albums, like that type of thing. And then you have these, which kind of like that, on the edge type of sixties, like this, this kind of stuff actually became more like, um, um, like marginal. Yeah. Um, which I mean, I, I think I've always liked that kind of stuff. Like I liked it before it was cool, man. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is, uh, this is definitely different than what I expected and, uh, and good. I, I thought it was pretty good. I like, uh, you don't, I don't know how much stuff you hear with a guitar player is like that busy in like some of these early sixties yeah. things. Usually they kind of take a back seat and they'd be like dun 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 you know they're just playing like two strings or something. But well yeah yeah he's almost playing like a like almost like country like bluegrass picking it almost sounds like yeah like an Albert Lee sort of uh sort of thing. But I think uh uh I I think with with um with this, well, it was also mixed by Steve Howe, so obviously the guitar is going to be a little up in the mix. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll also give it a three point five for what you know. Again, for what it is, it's um, it, it is better than I was expecting. It's it's really got a good energy to it, and you know, if you take into account, you can't really compare this to the most recent uh, Deep Purple album as far as production goes. It's, it's from a diff- completely different era, so. Mm, yeah. I'd say for a, a low budget beginner band where one of the guys went on to greatness, um, it's pretty uh, pretty pretty good solid start. I, I um, think so. The next track up is called Tur. I mean, this is more yeah, like what I would expect when you said, here's a 60s band. I like that bass playing. And I'm trying to imagine this through like a, a modern lens, like if this was produced and recorded even... Four years later, when production was so much different. And this one was written by um, Skinner and Howe. I feel like this would be like, if it were in, with today's production, would have been, uh, be like uh, some kind of indie, definitely an indie band. Yeah. I 
If anybody knows who that guy is that's digging up the tapes in the woods, let us know. Some interesting, like, sections. Yeah, nice arrangement. It's a very short song. into like almost like a circus <laughs> yeah I'm inter- interesting time changes and shit going on here wow am I gonna fade it out Funny, it's, the song's two minutes and 45 seconds. And it felt like it went like 12 different places. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they really packed a lot in there, huh? Yeah, that could have, with all the things they had, if they wanted to make this into an epic six-minute track, they probably could have done it fairly easily. Well, they didn't. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that would have been too much, but beyond winter, John, what do you think? I'll, I'll give another uh, 3.5. Um, I like what I'm hearing so far. Yeah, you know, not bad, not bad stuff. Pretty, pretty good. Uh, different. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm really, um, I'm really digging it um, for for what it is, you know. And this must have been a real treat, you know, for like a, a Steve Howe fan who had, you know, who had been a big, big fan of, um, of his, and then to have this early stuff come out must have just been amazing. Mm. Um, uh, so, what do you do? You like have any? I know it's not your cup of tea, but yes. Like, what do you do? You have any background with them, or have you, like? I don't think we've no, ever talked really. about. Yes. No, no. I, um, yeah. Other than, other than their, uh, their hits. Yeah. Not, not really. Yeah, I want to. The only things I think that I really know by yes, is, um, you know, roundabout. Which you know, interesting that we're <laughs> talking about early Deep Purple. Mm. Um, you know, I think everyone knows that song, and I, I just, I, I know that song, and w- listening to that album because I heard that song. I remember hearing it when I was a kid and being like, "This is amazing! It's amazing bass guitar production on it's incredible." Yeah. And I remember listening it to, to it with Paul, who just thought the lyrics were so ridiculous. Um, <laughs> just, la- I always laugh when I hear the song, like, you know, in and around the lake. Mountains come out of the sky and stand there. <laughs> He's like singing it. So Paul's like, "What the hell are these lyrics?" <laughs> In and around the lake, like what? What is this? And there's another song on that album. I can't remember which one that he thought was ridiculous. So it was hard to listen to it. I think I listened to it my first time with Paul, but you know, yeah. I was getting his running commentary, so I didn't get to fully appreciate it until um, later. Yeah. Um. So so yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's kind of my exposure to that. And then, of course, you know, Owner of a Lonely Heart, which is after Steve Howe left the band and very much different. Um, they yeah. kind of t- got a little poppy with that. But I, from what I understand, that's a huge album for them, from the, for them uh, in that era. But yeah, uh, did I rank this one? No. 3.5. I give it a 3.5 as well. I think it's pretty solid. All right, next track up on side one of this 
recovered LP recovered from a hole in the woods once in a lifetime. It's a very raw sounding acoustic guitar. You can hear the pick scraping against the strings. Sounds like it's not entirely in tune. Ah, I can hear it, yeah. Remember when I used to record, like if we were recording something, like starting something new, I would like restring my guitar and stretch out all the strings really good and like get them all so they have the brightest, cleanest sound. I was like, that didn't make any difference. Nobody cares. Like Steve Howe, I don't think he even tuned his guitar before this. <laughs> He's like, this is fine. <laughs> I think this is more of what I was expecting from this as well. Yeah, it's a little more closely aligned with what I would think a psychedelic 60s band would sound like. Kind of cool effect on the lead here. Now, I know, Clearly I not a run-of-the-mill guitar player, though. No, a very, very distinct style. Yeah, like, I mean, you can even tell on this. I think that's maybe what makes it stick out, is that Steve Howe was always a... guess he must have always been a little um, innovative or distinct. As we get a little point, he was later in the be. album... Um, Yes, fans will be able to appreciate that they he repurposed some of these boat-ass riffs and pieces for some Yes songs. I probably will not be able to pick up on it, but... out all those tracks so far I would say that the uh, the guitar in that one definitely had that um, you know the first song you kind of pointed out it had that uh, what is it almost like a country finger picking yeah, the, yeah. type of thing or chicken picking I don't know is, is he yeah yeah chicken picking is a good like well yeah. I'm looking at this picture of Steve Howner and I, I apologize to our listeners who probably everyone knows more about yes than we do um but I don't know if he was if he was a fingerstyle 
player mostly. Or I'm looking at some pictures from the Steve Howe book here to see if I can see the 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 cover photo looks like. No, it looks like he's holding a pick in some of these, but maybe he just maybe kind of goes back and forth. Well, either way, I mean his his sound and his style are are very. Like I could see that from the first song to this one is is that it's almost kind of like um to me it sounds very uh kind of uh countryish. Yeah. Um yeah, definitely not a bad thing, but definitely distinct for this kind of style of music, I would think. Yeah, for sure. All right, what do you think of uh what are you gonna give that one? Um, I'll give it a two point five. Not as um I'm, I didn't like it as much as the other ones, but I thought the the guitar playing stood out. All right. I'll give it a three. Um, I thought it was pretty, uh, um, you know, it's enjoyable, pleasant music. Mm. Um, you know, obviously the production is, they didn't put a ton behind it, but um, I, I find with anything that, that are, like you said, I appreciate it versus the debut Deep Purple album because they're, they're not everything is washed in reverb. Yeah. They're going. They're, there's some effects, but they're not going overboard with it. It's like they had just invented reverb, so everyone had to put it on every song, uh, and it gets <laughs> yeah. a little, little too much. Um, the last track on the first side of this album is called "Black Leather Gloves." It's kind of like that weird discordant chord there at the end of the progression. Pretty heavy. This is a very weird song. But I could hear this, um... You were talking about modern production, maybe modern playing, be like a heavy song. Oh, yeah. Plus black leather gloves. <laughs> Sounds heavy. Although I generally, if you're going for a heavy song, I recommend against the word of the use, the, the use of the word toothpaste in the lyrics. <laughs> yeah. to find the lyrics for the song. I can't find them. Well, apparently this is on Spotify. Nice dynamics, though. It's a cool Tooth- harmonizing. Toothpaste turns black, too? Like laying down a little groove for a solo or something. I do like that. That progression is very uh, dirty, heavy. I could almost hear that behind like an Aussie song or something. Mm. 
It's interesting they didn't have a keyboardist because so many bands at this time did. There's a little Richie thing there. Kind of reminds me of... um, That, um, is it 10 years after that has that song? Um, I'd love to change the world. You know which one I'm talking about? From who? 10 years after. Uh, um, <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> made that noise. Like, <laughs> I uh. made him choke. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, um, I, I, it's one of those where if I, if I heard it, like the, the, this song is stuck in my head now. So I, what was it called? I'd love to change. I'd love to change the world, but I don't know what to do. And then it's like, um, oh, it oh go- yeah, yeah. It gets into like a real like heavy part. It's like it has like a prog- yeah. like a descending progression similar to that. Um, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. But they're no, two very it. very stark different progressions. Uh, but kind of reminds me of that song for some reason. Mm. Um. Anyway. That was Black Leather Gloves. That one was written a solo effort by Skinner as the Skinner. writer. Skinner. What do you uh what do you think of that one? This this is ripe for some uh principal Skinner memes. Yep. <laughs> um uh, you know, I really I gotta say I liked it. I'll I'll give it a four. Oh wow, okay. Yeah, I mean it, it definitely um he um, and I mean, I'm really, I'm focusing mostly on, on Steve Howe, cause obviously he's the, he's the standout here, but it's, um, I feel like he's got this very kind of like, um, in a, a couple of the songs I've heard this kind of grandiose type playing the way he, the way he strums or picks, he goes, bum, ba-da-lam, bum, bum, ba-da-lam, bum, yeah, you yeah, know, like yeah. that. It's just very like, um, it just sounds very like when, when you do that kind of thing, it's kind of grandiose sounding you know like if you kind of take a guitar you know, dun, dun, you know it's like yeah. you're announcing something or whatever um, <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> like trumpets. yes exactly <laughs> like that like uh like you're, you're calling attention to it it's a very you know um um i think distinct here um and i i like the dynamics in the song too how they brought it down and they they had the little groove starting and even the harmonizing vocals during that that kind of breakdown section were, were pretty good. Yeah. You know, I, I think it like, and, and I'm listening to it um, through. Okay. This is a demo. And yeah, again, what you said at the same time, thinking to myself, what would this, what would this be today? Yep. And I could, I could see a band picking this up and making kind of a heavy rock song out of it. Yeah. Uh, Cause it has those elements. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I'll give this one a three point five again. I, I I also really like it. It's probably my favorite so far, but I don't know mm-hmm. if I can push it to a four. But it's really um, I like the progress. I'm you know always something in a minor key with a progression like that. I'm usually a fan of. Uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting how it's you know this is you know just before Black Sabbath. This is around the same time Deep Purple's doing their first album. And to think of it in that context, they're, they're definitely doing some really cool stuff. It's of its time, and there's some of the kind of little, little more hippy-dippy moments, but um, I do I do like that track a lot. 
I agree. Uh, which brings us to the second side of the album. This song is called Tired Towers. <laughs> Almost sounded at first like, like, ring that neck. <laughs> You can hear that listening to Bobby Woodman's drums, very like backbeat 60s British. Kicking a little wah in there. I like he's definitely doing some really interesting guitar work here. Yeah. And those vocals just sound so... I don't know what it is about the production, about the vocals, but they sound like five years earlier than they actually are. They sound like they were just recorded with a really crappy mic. be a great place to pluck some cool covers from her like a newer band you know you could cover one of these songs no one would know what the heck it was some good material here I'm trying to think this makes me think of something but I don't know to listen to Fragile again as it's the only Yes album I really know to see if I can pick out on some of this stuff because it's so different. But that that guitar melody Yeah. What? Yeah, that is that is something else. It's a lick that I always play on the guitar so I don't it's something I know Dan used to play a lot. The like so I I I put it in my playing often. That was kind of what I was most taken by. I was like, "Wow, I I do that a lot. That's weird that he's doing it so much in this song since he's yeah, Steve Howe and I'm me." It's it's something prominently that I've heard in another song that I, that I'm familiar with anyways and I He'll send me the I 3 can't. the 3 a.m. text. 
the, yeah, the, the non-existent 3 a.m. text because neither one of us is ever awake at 3 a.m. Yeah, well, lately I have been. I just keep waking up at like 3 o'clock in the morning and I, like, I think it's because my dog is just like rustling or something. So I I, um, I discovered that on the iPhone they have like these uh, background sounds you can put and there's like a background sound of like rain. So I just like put my earbuds in and I listen to the rain and I go back to sleep. So I'll check my mm. phone when I wake, wake up at 3 o'clock to a.m. to see if you sent me anything. All right, what do you give this one? Um, th- yeah, this was, um, I think this was another pretty uh, decent one. I'll give it a, um, I'll give it a three. All right. Um, again, I'm really, really enjoying the, uh, the guitar playing, but in this song, I'm thinking to myself, if they didn't have those kind of like try hard Beatles vocals in there that yeah. everybody was trying to sound like, and they had like, like somebody like Gillen was singing Gillen or Dio or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If one of the, even if they were singing the way that they were, then their voices were definitely distinct. They didn't have that, that nasally whiny type of tone. (laughs) What? I just, I was just waiting for the more adjectives to keep coming. (laughs) Nasally whiny. Beatle-y. I know. I know. I said, don't worry. I'm not hating on the Beatles. I'm just saying that, um, that that whole style of singing was very yeah. one one dimensional or it, it sounds that way these days. And I think that if somebody like um, Gillen or Dio, um, which are two good examples of uh, people back then, even Rod. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, because he had that that sexy, silky voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would have led something. <laughs> Hey, you tie your towers <laughs> with Val. I think it would have lent something different to the song, but <laughs> that would definitely lend something different. <laughs> oh yeah, that would have been very different. Uh, but a but a different style of vocals would have definitely uh, elevated it a little bit. Just a observation. Yeah, I'll give it a three point five. I like the vocals, but it was hard not to focus on poorly recorded they were it was very like mm. like muffled sound it sounded like they had a sock over the microphone and not just like a right like a like a big wool sock it, it was just it wasn't very clear but again you know given the time and everything i'm not but it's it's interesting because this was you know engineered by some of the guys who worked with the beatles so um yeah. but yeah if you could clean that up a little bit but i think it's i think it's a great song that you could do something with um and it might have been interesting. It would be interesting to hear what they sounded like live, but the chances of that resurfacing are pretty much zero. So, um, All right, next song up is called Mr. Jones. Um, not the... Uh, I, I, I'm hoping that when I put this on, it's going to be that Counting Crows song. <laughs> they stole it from Bodass, and we're going to be the ones that uncover it. <laughs> um, mm. But I don't think that's going to be what it is, because it's funny. I went to... I was looking up last night, and I... I typed something in Google like Mr. Jones and it was like, and you know, it goes like this suggested questions like that people put in Google is like, who is the first band to record the song Mr. Jones? And I clicked on it, it said counting crows. <laughs> I was like wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Bodas beat them to it. We'll but see. I would lose my mind if this was that song, but it won't be. Uh, here we go. Song called Mr. Jones. Hmm. Hmm. 
his cords are going all over the place. <laughs> Now, you know me, I like I'm not the foremost Beatles expert here, but does this remind you of a Beatles song? Yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't live under a rock. I've heard the Beatles, but this makes me think of something that I've heard by them. You know, everything back then was probably derivative anyways, but yeah, they, they wouldn't be the only band that was trying to copy what the Beatles were doing. The, the opening chord progression, that little descending line, kind of reminds me of the opening for like Happiness is a Warm Gun. But the... The rest of it, I don't know. But I like that little, like, that little funky thing they do after they say Mr. Jones. And then the chord they go yeah. to after that is really weird. All you Joneses look the same. Other than that, yeah, I, I mean, I think it sounds Beatles-inspired, but I can't really put my finger on anything specific. Nice. That sounded like, um, I can't think of it because I've just been listening to this, but it sounded like the end of the Beatles song. I'm sure Rich is listening to it yelling at me right now, but, um, it, uh, ah, who cares? <laughs> It'll come to me later. Um, all right. So, uh, what do you think about Mr. Jones? Oh. Hang on. Okay. I I just did something incorrect here on the spreadsheet. Oh, there Fumbling. You go. Oh, I thought you were changing um, ratings around. Yeah, no, that was that was an accident. I was in the wrong cell. All right. Um yeah, so I guess like uh it, yeah, Rich will be yelling at me through this because I'm gonna give this one a four. Whoa. And he'll be like, Oh, so you don't like the Beatles, but you like something Beatles esque. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, regardless, I think that it was a um yeah, this this was another uh, strong one. I like that little that little funky part you said the yeah. chord change that they did after they said Mr. Jones. I thought it was. Um, I think there's something percussive too about some of these songs yeah. and like the playing in them that makes them very uh, different. Um, even though they're they're uh, they're kind of um, in that that vein of sounding very loose, that percussiveness makes them sound tight at the same time. Mm. 
um, in a way. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I just feel that that's a um, kind of a um, a mark of of good musicianship. Mm-hmm. At least um, he put some time, or they put some time into thinking about here's how we're going to play it, or here's how I'm going to phrase this guitar part, rather than just oh, here's a demo or bouncing up and down and in suits like this. Your and camera's just, bouncing you know, up and down. <laughs> generic. What? Your camera was like bouncing with you. <laughs> Shaking all around. <laughs> yeah, that's. Yeah, I yeah, think it, it's, it, it's interesting because it's like, yeah, he, he, he does that. Dong, ding, dong, ding, dong. He's doing this like progression, but then all of a sudden he goes, he throws in these like staccato stabs like dum, dum, dum. And yeah. like jumps, and then he goes to that weird chord that I kind of don't like, but I kind of got used to it as the song went on. But it, mm-hmm. it, it's yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm gonna give it another three point five. I think it's a really, I think from mm-hmm. a songwriting standpoint, they were really onto something. They did some really really creative stuff through some stuff in there. I just, it's one of those things they just hadn't, you know, they didn't have enough momentum or enough time to really work on this. But I could see this being a band that, I mean, if you look at the early works of Deep Purple, Pink Floyd, the Black Sabbath stuff before they were even called Black Sabbath, any of that stuff, it's all sounding pretty similar to this. I could see Mm -hmm. if they had been granted the ability to work on stuff and do a couple new albums, even listening to the Curtis Muldoon stuff a couple years after this, it sounds like they Mm -hmm. really took it to the next level. So it'd be amazing to hear what this band would have been like if they had gotten a third or fourth or fifth album. And gone mm-hmm. into the early '70s when things just started to get production started to get so much better and things just started to get so much more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the next track up is a song called "One Thousand Years." Little slide, yep, or a screwdriver. We don't know. So the judge, he was waiting for you. <laughs> Look on your face. <laughs> this is, I think, what you were expecting the whole album to sound like. Yeah. So it's like the lost Rocky Horror Picture Show song. <laughs> Maracas or egg shaker. <laughs> it's like they forgot the maracas and they brought them back in. <laughs> I guess it's like, oh, it's my turn. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds almost like a. Like one of those, like. Blarney Stone drinking songs. Oh, we drink and we drink and we drink and we yeah. drink. You know, like one of those sorts of things. Yeah, I can I can hear that. Ween has a song where they kind of parody that style, and it's just reminding me of that. Years, 
The song's called A Thousand Years, but it is the shortest song on the album so far. Uh, feels like it's taken a thousand years for it to end. <laughs> I don't want to give a, give away what my rating is. <laughs> I, mean, I think that cringe when it first started already gave it away. From from my comments here, yeah, my face earlier <laughs> looked like somebody farted in your room. <laughs> All right, uh, Jonathan. <laughs> thousand years what do you think <laughs> mm. not so good <laughs> yeah I, I didn't really like this this sounded kind of like that kind of folky yeah. 60s meandering crap that i don't really enjoy yep um yeah so i'll um i'll give it a i'll give it a two i you read my mind i'm also giving it a two it was there was one part where they were like kind of harmonizing. Where I was like, this part has a little promise, but yeah, overall it was not um not my favorite. Yeah. That was a uh, Skinner penned track as well, solo. Hmm. Um, the last track on the album is called Nether Street, which is the name of the street their house was on that they were kind of recording and doing all this. This was written by Skinner, Curtis, and Howe. Um, so that was all the that was the um, uh, so who's who's left out in that um. Bob, uh, Bobby is left out on that. So this is just Dast who wrote this one. <laughs> or Dastical, I should say. So Skinner yeah. wrote it, but he doesn't get uh, two letters. So this was later renamed uh, Worm and was reused as part of the song Starship Trooper from the Yes album, 1971. So I think that was the first one that Howe was in. Um, Howe says that a fragment of the songs he was working on for Bodas also turned up later in Yes's South Side of the Sky, Close to the Edge, and Asia's One Step Closer, um, as, of course, Howe was in Asia as well. Asia! Do you ever see that uh, celebrity uh, Jeopardy on SNL? Where they do, you know, it's, it's, it's like all this, it's like... Uh, Sean Connery, Burt Reynolds, and I forget who the yeah, other yeah. one is. The, and they, you know, they're, they're just making fun of how dumb celebrities are. So they do. <laughs> I think it's, uh, I think it's Sean Connery spins it and he gets the audio daily double. And it's the category is continents. And it's like the audio is Asia. <laughs> this is a guy saying Asia. <laughs> every time I, every time I see Asia, I think of that. It's just too good. <laughs> Audio clue, Asia. All right, here we go. Uh, this track, final track on the album, Nether Street. That's really reminding me of something. Lola. Lola no. by the Kinks. There you, uh, well, that wasn't it, but yeah, that's a good point. I was just thinking. It was something grunge. Yoda, yo, 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 Yoda. Very frantic last song here. 
All right. That was really good. I could see them kind of going into Captain Beyond territory if they had continued on this route, you know? Yeah, you know what? That's it's a good call on that one. It's not as proggy as I expected, but it's they've got those little short segments and the changes around. You know, Captain Beyond's song will go in 11 different places in three minutes, you know? Yeah, but that last part, I could picture Captain Beyond. Yep. This is this is their most bodastical song so far. I would bodastically agree with that. <laughs> Our crusade to make the 2024 year of the word of the year bodastical. Hell yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I love that shit. <laughs> I really like how you it's playing. I, I feel like I... <laughs> Well, it makes me think of probably what, like you said, somebody like Tony Iommi, Ace Frehley, those guys were that that wound up making that uh, pentatonic blues style. Yeah, uh, really incorporating to their playing. That really reminded me of that. But that makes me think of what they played on some of their early demos or how they must have sounded before evolving into the seventies. But um, yeah, that's, you know, some of those <clears throat> blue scale tricks of the trade. Yep. Uh, I can recognize them. 100%. All right. That's Nether Street, the album closer. I mean, if you want to call it an album, it's sort of a compilation, but. Just the closer. The closer. Kara Sedgwick. Yeah. What, um, what do you give this one? Hmm. Um, I'll say I'll say a three point five. I, I thought it went out on a good note. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that I was really, um, I'm, I'm impressed by the 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 songwriting, really, mm-hmm. as well as the performing. This overall, the um, even though it wasn't a proper album, I guess you could say it. It ended on the right way. Like I, I don't know if like the the, the track, the track ordering is just dictated by how they found the demos or whatever. But I thought it went out pretty strong for a compilation. Like if somebody was making the decision, like, okay, this is the last song to go out on. I thought it was pretty strong. A hundred percent. I agree. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. That is the Bodast Tapes. As uh, John fumbles with the spreadsheet, uh, I will do my part, which is to thank our next level of patrons and for some reason it's all messed up in my show notes ah there it is all right all right so here we go Uh, speaking of our patrons here at the foundation level uh, section we have at the three dollar and fifty cent deep purple new york tier we have long long lordford (laughs) lord longford 
At the three-pound aromatic feed tier, we have Simon Ford and Richard Brees. At the $3.33 halfway to evil tier, Stephen Sharp and Duncan Leesk. At the $3 nobody's perfect tier, we have Peter Gardeau. Ian DeRosier. Mark Roback. I love it. <laughs> Stuart McCord. Then we have Ivan Fjeldboo. Runar Siemensen. JJ Stenard, Ruinous Inadequacies, John Maselli. Angela, when I was 12 years old, I had this good friend, Philly Cartuccio. <laughs> That's all I had. Um, <laughs> that was funny. Michael Philly Boyette. Cartuccio. <laughs> Phil Cartuccio. Um, Michael Boyette and, of course, Corey Morissette from the wonderful and the podcast Will Rock podcast. At the $1.71 tier, we have... At the 10 kroner tier, Karsten Lau. And at the $1 made-up name tier, we have the 1,000 Years of Drips, Leaky Mausoleum, Stephen Somerville, the Concerto 1999 fanatic, Hank the Tank, Private Eyes, Ashen Lionel, uh, Blackmore Tights, <laughs> Blackmore Tights, Steve Down to Earth Kohler, Zwapper the Electric Alchemist, Anders Engstrom, Ashley Still I Hear Burn Rose, ICDC, and of course, our newest patron, New Patron, Durple Purple. Thank you for joining us at the uh, $1 silly made up name tier. And speaking of names that aren't made up and are not silly, Stephen Somerville uh, sent us a picture just the other day. Um, he was, oh, do I have, oh crap, I don't think I have it on my computer. Well, I'll have it in the show notes for you. Um, but, or I can just pull it up on my phone and do it really crude style here. So he went to go see uh, Thin Lizzy with uh, Brian Downey and... Um, I've got to find it, of course. He was at the show, and who does he run into uh, but a one Simon Robinson. Simon <laughs> Simon McBride. Sorry, I'm reading too many show notes. Uh, <laughs> he runs into Simon uh, McBride at the show. Look at that. Nice. So, yeah, he just kind of bumped into him, and he said, um, I want to get his exact words because it's, uh, I don't want to. He says, uh, where is it? Where did it go? Oh, it might be in my uh, might be in my deep purple. Uh, no, it's actually my personal one. Here we go. Stephen Somerville. Uh, it says, "Oh, would be." Uh, she said, "Purple are making a new album and plan to go back on tour this year." Says a very down to earth guy and a real moment for me as I hadn't met a purple member before. So, pretty awesome. So he's just there in the audience. Yeah, he was just there in the audience. Seemed to be. Very pleased nice. to be hanging out with uh, he, he. He was all smiles. I probably, I'm sure he's a big, you know, he's a big Gary Moore fan. I'm sure he's a big Thin Lizzy fan. Um, mm -hmm. So having a good time. So that's great. And I'm sure you know he doesn't get recognized out in public super often. So 
Um, although at a Thin Lizzy show, you might <laughs> have a little more chance. So that's awesome. So thank you, uh, uh, Stephen, for sending that along. That's really, really cool. Um, and yeah, looking forward to that tour and even more so the album. I'll be excellent. All right. So without further ado, you know what time it is. All right, John, where does Bodast, the Bodast tapes, fall in our album rankings? Okay, so um, it, it ranks right about where I thought it would. It's uh, toward the bottom of the spreadsheet with a 6.5. Uh, we rated it equally. Oh, wow, look at that. I, Even though not on tracks, but for the whole equal. album, yeah. Yeah, yeah so uh, that's uh, nestled between um, Elf, Carolina County Ball, and Zephyr going back to Colorado. Hmm. Um, so honestly, kind of where I thought it would wind up, kind of, down with the other mid to late sixties, really early seventies albums. Uh, Cause that doesn't seem to be where both of our strongest tastes lie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say regardless of the, um, the um, position on the spreadsheet, I would say that it was a, it was a pretty strong demo. Like you, you, you're bringing to me like a demo of, some guys mid six. Like, what was the year sixty six? Was it sixty six? I think they re- recorded it between sixty eight and because because they were forming deep. So he, Woodman would have been out of Deep Purple in early sixty eight. So this was recorded in later yeah. sixty eight, early sixty nine, probably. All right. So yeah, late late sixties, um, um, psychedelic rock or sixties rock, and I'd just be like, all right. And, um, it actually, it actually wasn't bad and it didn't, um, it didn't throw me for a loop with the, the length of the songs. Like I do appreciate Mm. that they kept them pretty short about three minutes because there've been some sixties albums where you're just like, oh yeah, it's a sixties kind of pop trio type of thing or whatever. It's like, okay, all the songs will be like two and a half minutes long. And there were some of them that we've done in the past where like, eight minutes and I'm like, ah, shit. (laughs) So I was um, grateful that that wasn't this. Um, And I think another thing that I wasn't expecting was how good. um, And I mean, I say this early on because I don't know how developed he was, like how many years later was before he got like really good um, or started recording uh, many albums of the uh, Steve Howe. Yeah. um, Pretty, pretty good guitar player. He's another one that I'll, uh, take another look at um, in the future, I think, um, just because I think that if the the work on a uh, early uh, demo compilation was um, this strong, I'd like to see what else he's done. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I think I, he's. Um, I know his stuff tends to go more into the prog territory, but um, right. Yeah. Um, one other thing that I you know I need to bring up too, because I think this happened since I have it out here, which would indicate that I didn't talk about this on the show yet, even though I've sent text messages, but I did get a package from the wonderful uh, Norman Weichelbaum and um, which I sent a picture to you. So, and I opened it up and it's a CD of, it says a soulful Christmas and it says, Merry Christmas, Nate. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. 
with my <laughs> with my face <laughs> photoshopped your onto face Glenn Hughes's it. body. I'll have to put this in the show notes yeah. too. And then, uh, uh, but the, the, <laughs> I don't know what's better, that or the fact that when I, when I took that little photo out that was photoshopped, what it is is it's a copy of the CD that's actually autographed by Glenn Hughes. So that's pretty um, cool. Yeah, this is a very this is a very limited production album, and now I've got an autographed Glenn Hughes copy of the Soulful Christmas. With uh, you know, Glenn Hughes and his cat on the inside, <laughs> just looking at his cat. Um, All right, that that I've never seen before, so that's actually uh, that's the cherry on top, right yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm pretty excited about that, and I got I got to scan this. Um, or actually, maybe I could just ask him to send me a digital uh, copy of that um that image because uh, of me because I just I don't I don't know what I'll do with it, but I, I, besides treasure it always. So thank you, Norman. <laughs> I know I already thanked you, probably two months ago, but thank you again on the show for your generous uh, contribution. Um, okay. So um, yeah, with that, just a, just a little bit of a wrap up. Um, Boat asked uh, between 1968 and 1989, they did this self-titled debut album for Tetragrammaton, which they were on, which we all know, of course, folded uh, and deep purple was on that label as well. Then they would go on to go on, uh, Purple Records, uh, but but did not. Um, I'm sorry, Curtis Maldoon would go on to go on Purple Records, um, and how went on to go to um, to uh, yes, uh, their last gig was opening for the Who and Chuck Berry at Royal Albert Hall on July 5th, 1969. So just a couple months before uh, Deep Purple would be there with the Concerto. Uh, they they also were the backing band for Chuck Berry at the Royal Albert Hall, minus Steve Howe. Howe said he only found out during the rehearsals that afternoon when Chuck Berry pointed at him and said, we don't need you. <laughs> and he just went on to do the guitar. So, um, Well, I mean, yeah, he's friggin', he's friggin' Chuck Berry. He's like, I don't need anybody overshadowing yeah, he didn't me. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't pull any punches. But how, in Howe's book, he doesn't say it like um, in a negative way. He said he brought his guitar in to show Chuck Berry and they chatted before the show. So it sounds like it was, uh, you know, it wasn't like a, Super asshole move, but it sounds like it was it's a little so bit funny, to the though. point. We don't, we don't need you. Hey, you. We don't. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like it's like it's like the poor guitarist and elf when Richie just took over the band. Hey, you, beat it. <laughs> I'll take everybody else. <laughs> you get lost. Hit the yeah, bricks. Probably, probably more historically accurate. Yes, oh, that, that Ricky, one was Ricky, probably uh, not done. They probably weren't swapping guitar stories after that one. Um, in 1969, <laughs> Bobby Clark was asked to fill in in the Jeff Beck group. So now he's playing with Jeff Beck. So he's played with Richie Blackmore, Jeff Beck, Jimmy Page, Jimi Hendrix. Um, un- unbelievable. Um, Beck asked him to stay in the in the band, but he said he wanted to get back to work with Bodast. So not maybe the wisest career move. Hmm. Um, Tetragrammaton folded. Um, and then in 1981, as he said, he dug this up after Clive Skinner died and uh, used this. Uh, Howe says that they were fired um, from the label after an engineer at Kingsway Studio accused them of taking heroin, which he said they did not do. He said they were drinkers. They Ooh. messed around a little, a little weed, but never heroin. Uh, but that runs 
counter to what the, the story is, which is that they just went away because the label folded. Um, wow. Clark went on to, again, for a fourth time, work with Vince Taylor and the Playboys and many other acts over the years. Curtis and Skinner, going by Clive Maldoon at this point, formed the duo Curtis Maldoon and released an album on Purple Records featuring Steve Howe on lead guitar, Tony Ashton as well. Uh, Curtis Maldoon had a song called Sephirin, which was used um, liberally for the Madonna hit song Ray of Light. So if you look on the song Ray of Light, these two guys from Bodast have writing credits on the Madonna song and probably made far more from that than they ever did with Bodast or Curtis Maldoon because that was a huge hit. I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure. So yeah, if you listen to that song by... by, uh, Curtis Maldoon, uh, and then listen to if you you probably know Ray of Light anyway. But if you listen to it, you can see that they you know it's they clearly changed it up a little bit, but it's they took huge pieces from that song. Steve Howe went on to audition for the Nice. He got the job, but the following day, following day, decided the band wasn't for him and left. He also got an audition with Jethro Tull, but didn't take it because he said um, he was told that the guitar player wouldn't have any songwriting input. And he had a brief stint with Atomic Rooster with Carl Palmer, but didn't think it was a good fit. Of course, he'd later work with him in Asia. Um, Howe was in P.P. Arnold's backing band, and P.P. Arnold was someone uh, who had some hits in the 60s, also sang backups on Jesus Christ Superstar. And he was in that band with Tony Ashton and... um, uh, Roy Dyke from Ashton Gardner and Dyke. Um, and then Howe goes on to replace Peter Banks in Yes. Howe was in the band The Syndicats and was replaced by Ray Fennick. And then when Ray Fennick left, Peter Banks was asked to replace Ray Fennick. And then he went on to found Yes, and then Howe replaced him in Yes. So those three were just kind of playing musical okay. chairs. Um, and then Howe went on to be in the supergroups Asia and GTR. Um, uh, Skinner... Uh, Clive Skinner passed away in 1978 from complications of a prescription medicine. Bobby Woodman passed away in 2014. And then this, um, these songs were released in four different formats. Originally the Bodas tapes in 1981, Steve Howe with Bodas, the early years in 1990, Spectral Nether Street in 2000. And then what he calls the best compilation, which is this one, uh, Towards Utopia in 2017. And that's it. As all the news that's fit to print. I have a million links in here uh, for more information if you want to dig into Bodast, but that's it. That's the cockles and the mussels, the lemons and oranges, or whatever of, of Bodast. <laughs> uh, grapes and bananas. <laughs> that was their, their follow-up hit. They did a demo of that one. Grapes and bananas. Yeah. Bananas <laughs> and almond butter. <laughs> I don't think they had almond butter in the 60s or the 50s. These oh, songs are from the 50s. Yeah, Did they even invent almonds uh, yet? They might have not even had almonds. <laughs> invented <laughs> almonds. I don't know. I, I, I'm just putting together like uh, popular healthy snacks. Yeah. Cockles and mussels and a, <laughs> a nice healthy snack. <laughs> I like Ugh. cockles and mussels. I don't like cockles. They're like little... They're all like, kind of like snails. They're like... They're like Ugh. beach. <laughs> they're, no, no, no. Wait, no, no. Wait, they're not like skits. Sk- they're like little bivalves, I think. I, I, Still. Let me let me look at them up. I know I've had Ugh. them before. They're, just, they're like little, like they look almost like a cross between like a clam and a scallop. Yeah, there they are. Um, an edible burrowing bivalve. There used to be a bunch of them in the beach by me in New York and you stick your toe in and they just kind of pop out. Yeah. 
<laughs> if it's from the sea, yeah. it's not for he. Yeah, <laughs> nar. <laughs> Ooh, what I was just talking about those Google, uh, those those Google questions, those dumb questions. People also ask, um, are cockles the same as scallops? <laughs> I'm guessing no, since they have two different names. Mm. Uh, uh, are cockles? Do cockles taste like clams? <laughs> I mean, I would be likely to be asking those questions because I didn't know what they were. Yeah. Cockle, you know, warms the cockles of my heart. Is this a good It's a good um It's interesting. What, what what movie is it? It's a Woody Allen movie where he's like, uh, <laughs> someone says it warms the uh, warms the cockles of my heart, and Woody Allen's like, oh, just what we need, warm cockles. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. I remember. I don't. That. I can't remember which movie it was, but or maybe he says yeah, hot just cockles. Like, I'm walking <laughs> around just with warm need, cockles. cockles. <laughs> Oh wait a uh, minute! Now I gotta. Yeah, that's definitely gotta look that one up. Yeah, it's one. It's it's probably like love and death or something. <laughs> Hot cockles! I'm looking. <laughs> oh, it is from. It is from love and death. Is it love and death? Yep, Woody Allen. You're right. Warm the cockle of my hat. That's just great. Nothing like hot cockles. <laughs> that's what he says. <laughs> Yeah. All right. That's just great. Nothing like hot cockles. <laughs> oh, my that's God. a good one. All right, folks. Well, that's oh, it. That's, that's Bodass. Thanks for listening to the most bodastical episode we've ever done. Uh, and we'll be back yeah, at you dude. next week. With, some, yeah, with, dude. A, with our 250th episode next week. Holy Ooh. moly. Oh, we should do something really special for that. We should. Maybe we will. We'll see. It might or, be an, or not. It might be something <laughs> slightly more well known than Bodast. Oh <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, let's let's do that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, talk to you le- next week, my friend. Ah, oh, jeez. <laughs> Hot cockles. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See DeepPurplePodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. Dad, we had that dog for 14 years and you're calling it he. (laughs) Oh, well, I think Pops does the same thing. He goes, yeah, you remember, you remember Whiskers? He was a good cat. It's like she, she. It warmed the cockles of my heart. That's just great. Nothing like hot cockles. Asia.